0: Consent gives birth to love and life. We foster passion to grow geniuses which lift humanity. And tailor technology to preserve liberty in balance with nature. Welcome to Radical. Welcome to Radical. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, I've got a special treat for you guys tonight. But first, a little bit of admin. Uh, If you love the show and you want to support it, you can go and support it through Cash App, Shane Hazel. And that is the only thing that we are doing now. Um, Real quick, I had to get rid of some some things that I don't like in terms of the the, the gearing of the show because I just don't believe in them anymore. Uh, the the Patreon and the, the people that were processing the things on the other back end, PayPal. Like I am getting rid of all of these people that are bowing down and putting a knee down for the state and submitting and and taking advantage of people, good people, people that are trying to get words out about things that kill other people, right? Like that are being done by pharmaceutical companies, by the government and the rest of it. I'm absolutely done with it. Uh, So, if you want to support the show, and I really appreciate the only way you're going to be able to do it for now is through uh, Cash App, and that is Shane Hazel. Tonight, I have a guest that has been long, long in the making. Um, This guest contacted me uh, almost damn near a year ago and was like, "Hey, man, I got—I wrote this book. I would really, really love if you read it and uh, give me a review." And so, after I got done running for governor, I told him I'd get to it and. I did, and then obviously life still happens, right? And uh, he's a business owner uh, at the same time, so he knows. And there's there's something about this guy that I think is different from a lot of people out there. And it's it, we'll, we'll kind of get into it tonight in the show. But um, my my guest tonight is the great and brilliant Brian Dement. Welcome, Brian.
1: Man, thank you so much, Shane. I'm um, yeah. It's it's the way you tell that is. Uh is is spot on except for i like humbly came to you and it was just like there's no way this guy's gonna read this book and i'm thinking he's running for governor like this is such a rude request like i know this is a rude request but i was and, and honestly i don't pay a lot of attention to georgia i'm in california i don't pay a lot of attention to georgia politics and so It wasn't until uh, your when you lit up the debate stage with uh, with your with the other candidates um, that you went viral. And so like Californians are paying attention to Georgia politics. And and I was like, dude, this guy is spot on. And then I saw you on the BTC Sessions podcast. And so there was some overlap. But I mean, it was it was such a rude request. Um, as a a budgeting, as a budgeting author, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm I'm hitting up people and, uh, you were just so gracious and, uh, just, I, I, man, I appreciate that. It's too much. much. Don't stop. No, thank you for having me on your (laughs) show. Wow. Hey,
0: so Brian is the, uh, the author of Bitcoin Evangeline planting seeds for the decentralized revolution. This book, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have this book. You can go out. There are links to it on uh, the show notes, uh, and there will be links tomorrow in the show notes as well. There are links on Twitter right now for it. This is one of the most thorough books on Bitcoin from start to finish that I have read. And that's saying something, man. You know, I'm not Guy Swan. I haven't read the most in Bitcoin, but I've read a damn good bit of Bitcoin. And to lay it out for somebody who's coming in, an entry level book that is I don't know compounding that, that builds on concepts and core principles and tells history and then really gets into the the, the meat towards the end. I, I need to slow down a little bit because there there is so much good stuff. How long did this take you to write? First and foremost,
1: you know what the funny part is. Um, is so the just the writing part was insanely fast, and so people don't believe me when I when I talk to authors and stuff as far as how fast it was written. It it, it's 10 years of thinking through that, mm-hmm. that to it. So like I would say that the, the, the writing process was probably 10 years. But from the day that I started an outline to the day that, that all the text was finished was like three months. I do I had this wow. stuff in my head, and I I can write. Like I, I have terrible grammar, terrible sentence structure. My editor hated, reading <laughs> it. She loved the content, but she hated Every time you're supposed to use who I say that and I just I put commas in the wrong places. So I basically shotgunned the information and got it out there very quickly. But then the editing process was a couple more months and things like that. And even to this day, there's still things that, you know, I, I like to fine tune. So I'm a, my own biggest critic. But yeah, th- I mean, the shotgun blast of like the first manuscript was about three months, about a five month process until it was like edited fully, but I mean, even now we go back and we make edits and there's things that we, we need to up, you know, we, we needed to update that have been updated in new versions of it, like FTX and, and all these different things that have come up. So it's kind of a living book in terms of the content. Um, but yeah, about, about three months of getting it out of the brain and and onto paper, but it was stuff that I, I, I had been mulling over and talking through, uh, for years.
0: Well, I mean, it, it, you must have been—I mean, ten years—you must have been thinking about it a lot because to put this into a book in three months is is a hell of an accomplishment, and, and I mean that because this is one hell of a book. And if you are new to Bitcoin, this is one of those books that I really—I mean—I suggest you go get it. You can you can actually get it on Amazon, and you can listen to it uh, through audiobooks and things like that as well. And I got to tell you, the narrator. Um, t- does a great job. Um, and, and it's the thing is like, as a guy that narrates and listening to somebody else narrate in a much more, what we were talking about before the show, a 2020, tr- 2023 style, right? It's not this very uptight, you know, line by line, no, no understanding, kind of a, an indifference to what they're reading. This is passionate reading. This is really good stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love that you say that you're giving Logan credit. So Logan Foster is the guy that narrated it. And um, when so the way that that process works is when you're you've, you've written a book, and then you put it, you know, there's there's different websites where you can go and you, you can have people audition to do your audio book. And where he won me over was in the introduction. And like you said, he didn't have he doesn't have that monotone style or that academic style. And there's people that have great, you know, they, they can sound like these brilliant English, you know, you know, speakers and all that kind of stuff. Well, this guy, he won me over whether there's a line in the intro where it talks. It's an Obama quote about you didn't build that. I don't know if you remember that. Line. I, I think and
0: about he, it often, actually, as I'm building a
1: business. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and and how uh, much hard so damn work does, it is. Yeah. And I didn't ask him. I didn't ask him in the audition to do an Obama quote for that line. He just took it upon himself and he did a spot on Obama. Like it was. So to me, I'm like, that's added value. This guy's bringing something to the table and he really, he really lights up. I mean, I, I enjoy reading a physical book. I don't usually listen to audiobooks. I listen to maybe two per year. So it's like, I want to make sure it's a good. one, dude. He makes it worth the listen. I think that he really enhances the information by the way he did it. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. When I'm out there listening to these kind of things, it's like on a lunch break or something where I'm going out and hiking three miles in these mountains up here in, uh, in Appalachia stand. And I got to tell you people that put a smile on my face when I'm, you know, getting up these mountains, like those are good people to listen to. Um, what I love doing because it's 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 a very it's I'm going to just give away secrets to to podcasting and telling stories. If you can help people tell their character arc and where they came from and how they developed, people um this is going to help you relate to everybody else out there. So, if you've got a, you know, a couple minutes to tell us kind of your Bitcoin backstory and how you mm. came to the whole thing, I think that is seriously important uh for people to be
1: able to relate to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, so the first time I ever heard about Bitcoin, everybody, everybody that's into Bitcoin has the the story of if I would bought into Bitcoin the first day I heard about it, I'd be a gajillionaire, right? We all knew about it earlier than we actually got into it. Um, but the first time I think I heard about it, it was probably 2011, 2012. And we could probably look this up. I, st- I haven't taken the time to look up when this happened, but it was I, I rarely watch college Saturday football, but it was ca- uh, college Saturday game day. And I, it was, yeah, 2011, 2012. And before the game in the pregame, they have all the announcers kind of lined up. They're talking, who's going to, you know, Smith's going to go do this or that. To, and then they have the college students in the background. And I remember watching that episode and there was a kid with a sign in the background that said, hey, mom, send Bitcoin. And he had a QR code on there. And I was like, what the freak is this? You know, and so I, I forgot about it. And then like a few days later, I'm like, I wonder what happened. So I kind of Googled it and there was articles written because the Bitcoin community, that was a big deal to the bitcoin community in yeah. 2011 2012 because they weren't on any mainstream station so if you went on bitcoin talk or bitcoin reddit they were saying things like bitcoin made it to espn this is the most <laughs> monumental moment ever it wasn't even like featured on espn it was just in the background with this dorky kid but the articles stated that this this kid at that time, so now you can imagine it's a lot more, he had $24,000 worth of Bitcoin sent to him because Bitcoiners all over the world were freezing, pausing their TV, sending this kid some Bitcoin because they were so ecstatic to finally get Bitcoin on TV. And so I don't know what the Bitcoin price was when he got that sent to him, but hopefully that kid held on to it. He'd be doing pretty good right now. So that was the first (laughs) time I ever heard of it, but I wrote that off. I was like, that's proof of how dumb this thing is. It's just dorky college kid money. Um, you know, some cyber thing, whatever. And then I had some friends about a year or two later that were smart entrepreneurs, like guys I really respected and they were kind of getting into Bitcoin. And I, so I took a, a, a resentful approach. I'm like, you guys are smart. You're wise. Why are you wasting your time? You're, you're otherwise smart individuals that are really smart with your capital, your smart money. Why are you taking your smart money and chasing dumb money with that? And so that actually prompted me to dig into Bitcoin and learn about it. I said all the things of the, you know, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a pyramid scheme. It's, it's fake. Where is the intrinsic value? Again, things that I think are actually good questions. I mean, I yeah. think anybody, it's now that, as Bitcoiners, it's easy to get frustrated with somebody calling Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme or no intrinsic value or whatever it is. But We just have to realize that those are good questions. Like Those are things that we should have all asked at one point. But through studying that, through studying Austrian economics and just the, the history of money, I came to the point where I'm like, this is actually just really good money. And the light bulb moment for me was um, probably around 2014 uh, when I was listening to Andreas Antonopoulos. And he was either, on, it was either on the Joe Rogan experience or it was a different podcast. Um, and he said something that I'd heard before, but it, it just sometimes you hear something multiple times and the third time it clicks. And he said, in the history of computer science, we've never had a way to make digital things scarce. And Bitcoin represents the first time that you can, you can limit the supply of something scarce. Think about the music industry. Um, as soon as it went from CDs and records and tapes to mm. MP3 files... The industry changed overnight the way they have to monetize is completely different because there was no physical way to cap music anymore the the music genie was out of the bag Mm -hmm. and so there was no way to stop the cat was out of the bag and there's no way to stop that anymore and so that became a problem so you could never have truly digital money unless you found a way to make it scarce in bitcoin that's why it's so one of the reasons why it's so revolutionary it represented that moment in history where we could finally cap something digital and so now anything that's digital has this ability to be capped and limited in supply. And
0: Antonopoulos said that back in 2014. That's I mean yeah. That, yeah. what a what a brilliant way to find value in something. I, mean, I were you a student of Austrian economics prior to that or did you just kind of understand that you know the current system had some flaws because it was able to print money at whim and they would ignore debt ceilings or blew right through them i mean yeah. did you already have that kind of knowledge going on or something that you just saw and you're like hmm
1: that actually kind of makes sense yeah i was i was raised in a family of gold bugs so we kind of i was always raised with that idea that you know our money is 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 a faith-based money and um, I, I say it in the intro of the book too. My last name is Dement, and so that means yeah. of the money or money maker. And I grew up on a street called Sovereign Way. And so, from like a really young age, I remember asking, "What does Sovereign mean?" Like my last name means coin minter or money maker. And you know, I, so we always talked about that. What does our name mean? And Um, We probably came from a family of bankers, so I probably came from a family of the people that are just- (laughs) They hate you right now. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. But then, yeah, this idea of sovereignty was something, personal individual sovereignty was something that was important to me from an early age. And so that connection of how money is used to eradicate or erase or limit individual personal sovereignty was like, it was like dinner table talk in our household. Now, we didn't have like a great functional family in a lot of regards, but that was like one thing my dad- Crazy dude, like died from a drug overdose when I was 20 years old, wild dude. But like our dinner table conversations were about business and about things like money. I mean, I was so blessed and fortunate to be brought up, but it was a gold bug home as a gold bug mentality that I came into. And so that's why Bitcoin clicked. For that reason, because of that background and that history, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it seems like you've you've been in this for for quite some time. It's a it's a hell of a good story coming in um, and relatable because as as a guy that is a homesteader out here in North Georgia, right, is like when I was introduced to the idea of Bitcoin, I, I did some of the same things you did. Is like, what can I touch? Does it have any value? Because out here, is if it, you can't touch it, it's not real. It's not yours. You always like I always heard, you know, growing up. Um, that if you know if if it's something like a, a stock or a bond or something like that, or if it's a, a certificate for gold or silver, right there, that's not yours. That's that's somebody else's. If somebody else is holding your gold or silver, you're an idiot. Yeah. And- <laughs> So when I heard about Bitcoin, I was just like, boy, that sounds like some really ephemeral weirdo, like (laughs) nonsense. I I mean, I thought the idea at at first was just one of those things where I was like, oh, boy, people are going to get ripped off really Mm -hmm. badly with this kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, One of my favorite chapters in this whole thing, Uh, I believe it's chapter 10, is uh, why does Bitcoin have value? Mm-hmm. The length and depth, and this is, I mean that's every chapter in the book, but this one's fascinating to me because there are some things in here that I hadn't really heard or considered and some comparisons that you make. Um, the, the reason why Bitcoin has value, and you talk about the networking effect for one main point of it. Mm-hmm. You talk about the you know the, 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 the encyclopedias back in the day versus like Google. I think these are wonderful things to kind of like maybe it wet the appetite of some people out there that maybe i don't know on the fence coming into bitcoin whatever it is mm-hmm. um to kind of talk about why this is so important
1: yeah i was out to lunch with a guy um shout out i met him through orange pill app i'm on orange pill app and you can meet bitcoiners and stuff and this guy named madude <laughs> his his name's madude um awesome it's a great dude, um, and so he was talking. He's a Bitcoiner, but he's talking about his cousin. He can't get over this idea. He's a he's a gold bug. He's he's red pilled. I mean, as far as like his eyes are open to you know the system. So it's like he's got the half the story that you know the monetary policy is bad and all that sort of thing but just isn't into the Bitcoin thing. It doesn't have intrinsic value, according to him. And so we were talking about this a lot yesterday, and it's I, I think it is. It's, it's almost this mental milestone for people to get over um, because we think of intrinsic value as something that I can touch, I can feel, I can hold. Um, I think one of the important things is to get away from the, even I like to say intrinsic value, but for people that are skeptical, get away from the word intrinsic value and just talk about its intrinsic characteristics. Like um, why is gold valuable? Well, it's 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 great because it's limited supply and all these types of things. But yeah, at the end of the day, a gold bug will say, if the world you know if the apocalypse, apocalypse happens, I can turn it into a bowl, I can turn it into a spoon. I'm like, well, is that really why you're buying it? But I get it. You're saying it has some sort of physical quality. Well, let's talk about its intrinsic qualities. Gold has intrinsic qualities. I can make great connections out of it. I can you know uh, wires and you know all sorts of things for smartphones and that there's there's a value there. Um, so yes, I, I think that gold's great for that reason. Um, Let's talk about the intrinsic characteristics of Bitcoin. If I were a, a Canadian trucker in January of 2021 and my PayPal got shut down and my, my uh, the donations coming in and my bank account got shut down and I'm freezing in the middle of Ottawa, Canada, and I have no gas money, nothing. Like I have no way to receive value. But then there's a piece of software that allows people from anywhere in the world to send me money against the will of my government that has called me a terrorist and inciting violence, all these things just for exercising free speech. That all of a sudden is something that has intrinsic character, like an intrinsic trait to it. Like the intrinsic trait in Bitcoin is that it's censorship resistant. It's it's permissionless. Like you don't have to ask anybody if you if Shane wants to send Brian value right now, we're not asking a third party all other forms of money are asking for permission. Um unless yeah. I can hand you gold directly or unless I can hand you cash directly, but right now in this situation we're in, you and I, there's a lot of ways for us to send value to one another. There's only one way where we don't have to ask permission. So that's an intrinsic characteristic of Bitcoin. So if they don't want to say intrinsic value, I would say because it has an intrinsic characteristic, it therefore has intrinsic value. Um, you know, I think just because something has intrinsic characteristics like water, you can survive off of it. it is one of the things I use in the book, um, you can survive off of water, it's actually like the most important thing <laughs> we can possibly have. But because it's such an abundant resource, it's not very valuable, a gallon of water versus a one carat diamond, they're not even comparable in value. Right. But if I have only the sustenance of those two, for the next two weeks, I'm going to die if all I have is the diamond. And if I have the gallon of water, I can, I can sustain my life for a period of time. But why is the value of those things? So scarcity, something being scarce, actually, I would argue is intrinsically valuable as well. We as humans value things because of their scarcity um, based on those principles. So when you, when you pair those two things, something has intrinsic value. It's if I'm a, a Canadian trucker, it has an intrinsic characteristic that I need. Um, and it has scarcity. Therefore it's kind of. In my opinion, it's almost inarguable that Bitcoin, you can't really say it doesn't have value. It it I just it, I just told everybody how it does. It has like a real world tangible value right there. And there's actually many, many other well, ways to state it. That, and to
0: yeah. your point, you know, in terms of value, um, if people would learn how mining occurs in the difficulty adjustment and and, and the halvings and, and what happens with these ASIC miners and, and what ha- the, the, the whole mempool. If people would take the time to learn how mining happens and what the incentive structure is, they'd understand that Bitcoin is proof of work, just like gold is proof of work. We're not talking about like, what is it backed by? No, it's not, it doesn't need backing. It has proof of work because it exists in the first place. And you can go back and see that it's been audited along the line every 10 minutes, where the Federal Reserve has never been audited, right? Like you can sit there every 10 minutes and verify every block of the blockchain back to 2009 and say, this is proof of work. Gold is proof of work because they dug it out of the ground. You can hold it physically, you can see it and touch it. This is proof of work because you can see every block along the way that's mined these things, you know, and that boy, I mean, once you understand like it's proof of work, but to your networking, the, the network effect, um, in terms of creating value when you went yeah. from uh, the the encyclopedia to Google and I, I forgot what the statistic was it was something like 70 million uh, to Good. 700 what was it 700?
1: So, so it's 70 million. It's funny, because I, I pulled that up right on. I, I have my note right here. because uh, I, I always forget that that statistic. It, it, it's 70. 70- so encyclopedias, their best year ever. They did 70 million dollars right. in, in in gross gross revenue. And digital, uh, digital encyclopedias, Google's the the search engines of the world, account for about 40 billion in gross revenue per year. <laughs> Orders of magnitude different. And it's the same thing, right? It's it's information finding. Um, and so, yeah, when you, when you make something more efficient, people use it a lot more. And so therefore, you know, the other, the other example I use is uh, analog maps, paper maps versus digital maps. Yeah. To me, that's even sometimes more prevalent to people. It's like uh, paper map. We're all, we're old <laughs> enough to remember when we pulled out a paper map, <laughs> yeah. your parents, you're going to go on vacation. They pulled out the Thomas guide and you like charted your course. Um, you did that a couple times per year. You hardly ever used a paper map, but you had it. Everybody had one in the back of the trunk or whatever, but the actual utility of it, you just never used it, very rarely. But think about digital maps now we I have I use a digital map essentially every day my Ways is like on in the background on my Apple CarPlay anytime I'm driving somewhere because it's telling me if there's a cop coming or if there's a pothole. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's like new functionality. My Thomas guy never told me if there was a pothole on the road or it never told me if there's traffic and never, you know, it never gave me alternate routes if you know, in real time traffic changes. So all these extra functionalities give a lot more value. And aside from my personal value, think about how much business that accounts for Paper maps meant something to business back in the day. And I think that that's also a stark reality. I think paper maps were $40 million, $40 million in their biggest year of business. Um, and then digital maps account for about $200 billion per year. Um, and the industry is in the trillions. You think about Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, uh, everything in the gig economy, Amazon, their logistics, UPS, their logistics, uh, yeah. uh, commercial freighters of all. like those entire industries revolve around digital maps. And so when you take something like gold, I think inarguably gold has value. I, I love that. I, I really like gold, still a gold bug coming from a family of gold bugs, but there's no precedent in history where the the digital thing, the new digital thing doesn't replace the incumbent by at least 10 times the value. So if gold is a $10 trillion market, there's almost no precedent in history where Bitcoin won't worth be worth $100 trillion in terms of market cap. And considering it's at about $300 billion in market cap right now, that's a long way to go um, in terms of the price of the individual coin. You're talking about coins and the millions of dollars. And I, I usually don't talk about the price of it, but it it, right. it does relate in terms of when we're talking about intrinsic value, how value. And you you asked the question earlier about Austrian economics. The Austrian economic answer is like, not satisfying to most people at all austrians would just say that there's no such thing as intrinsic value nothing is intrinsically valuable it's what market value is and i think that's a great i think that's a great explanation but when you're just talking to random joe smo people or you're talking to your grandma about it or whatever they don't like the austrian economic answer <laughs> and so i think we need to make it more relatable in terms of real world uh, utility but yeah i think that you hit the nail on the head network effect is is probably the most important thing about, uh, about Bitcoin. And, uh, you think about why networks are important. If I have a telephone, this is, I'm just, I'm giving people the book right here. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so you're not, you're, not you're, even you're, close. There's yeah. no way
0: you're. we're giving them, we're giving them some juicy bits of the book right here. Yeah, There's so we're just much wrong, more in here for, especially for somebody who, who is new to Bitcoin, right? Like this, this is something that kind of tickled my fancy. Like I haven't, I haven't really considered the network effect in the past. One of the other things you talked about was the multiplier effect. When somebody, as as we're getting into Bitcoin, and and you know, obviously as things are going to ramp up, because. I think Jerome came out the other day and we get another, you know, 25 basis points, right? And so all of a sudden we're gonna see this jump in Bitcoin again, which we kind of saw last night. I think it's gonna probably continue upwards. It might be a little bit bumpy on the way up, but whatever. The the idea that we're you know seeing people come into the space again and we're seeing people, you know, start to spend a dollar, that dollar isn't worth just a dollar when it comes into Bitcoin. Can you explain that concept to a, a little bit to people out there that, you know, m- may m- help them understand a little bit more just the value proposition?
1: Yeah. So um, the the term I use, I like just there's not an economic name for this term. And so I literally created a thing. I asked some people, I like, what? how do we define this phenomenon that happens? But we call it capital flow inertia. I'm actually working with a a mathematician from one of the the it's Biola the guy that heads at the department at Biola University, the math department there, and he's like working on a formula. We're we're like trying to win the Nobel Prize with this <laughs> thing. I don't the Nobel Prize is like a good thing anymore. No. But, um I'm just like, that would still be cool to like rub this in the face of the the guys that are supposed to win. The you Olympics. guys need the
0: we need to, you need to start the Bitcoin awards, whatever the it Bitcoin. is. Like the, the, the largest contributor the every yeah. year. I'll tell you what, it, it, people who are out there who have got some coin, the Bitcoin awards, that needs to happen. I don't know, Bitcoin magazine, I don't know where you're at on this one. Like yeah. maybe yeah. at Bitcoin mag 2023.
1: That's a that's actually a great idea. I'm going to I'm going to email that to the guys tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um but speaking of that, are, do, are, you, are are you are you going to be at the Bitcoin conference? Ooh, are you going to go I, to Bitcoin Miami? I have
0: not decided yet. Are you going?
1: I'm going and I ju- I was talking to the guys. I'm trying to encourage them. I feel like if you email and say you would you would do this, then it would push them over the edge, but I'm trying to get an early morning jujitsu uh, Bitcoin Magazine role It'd be like the official Bitcoin Magazine jujitsu morning workout. We stuff. are so- gonna
0: get to jujitsu. Yes, you can. I'll have to get a permission slip from my wife that says, "Hey, <laughs> don't beat him up too fucking bad." <laughs> but yeah, hey, if if we could get something like that together, man, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that'd be oh, that'd okay. be cool
1: as hell. Um, yeah, so for maybe we can maybe we can coerce them into that. Uh, but okay, so going back to this idea, capital flow inertia, sorry, I'm like,
0: No, we're, we're going to get to all this fun stuff. Keep
1: yeah, going. So, so, um, yeah, we're working with this mathematician, we're trying to define this thing. So, so when you invest, people think that, okay, the market capitalization, which for anybody that doesn't know, it, if you're trying to figure out the market capitalization of Bitcoin, you take the price of the individual coin, and you multiply, it's a simple formula, you multiply it by how many coins are in existence. So if you have one dollar per coin, and you have a million coins, that's a million dollar market capitalization. Like that's how that formula works. So in that case where you have a million coins for a dollar each, your total market cap's a million dollars. People think that if you if somebody buys a coin for a dollar, that now the market cap is one million, one dollar, that, that that's how it goes. But that's not how supply and demand works in the marketplace. Because you're dealing with scarce assets, It's not like every time you buy a Bitcoin, a new one is produced. You're dealing with a diminishing supply. So maybe there was 100 Bitcoin available before, but now you've bought one. Now the market shrank by 99 Bitcoins or by one Bitcoin, there's 99 left. If I'm one of the people that's selling one of those other Bitcoins, I might think to myself, wow, there's some demand. You know what? Maybe I'm not going to sell so early. I'm going to hold on because there's people buying these things. And so there's only so many on the market. I'm going to wait for a higher price market psychology plays into this. And so really every dollar that gets invested has a multiple effect. And now that's what I'm trying to figure out with this mathematician is how do we figure out exactly what that multiple is. But let me give the audience an example in the 2017 bull run. So a lot of people are familiar with this bull run that just happened to Bitcoin. The one that was two bull runs ago in 2017 in a four month period about $6 billion of new money, new capital came into Bitcoin in the last four months of the year. But those $6 billion accounted for $178 billion of market capitalization increase. So the price of Bitcoin went from a few thousand dollars per Bitcoin to 20, actually went from at the beginning of the year, $900 per Bitcoin to $20,000 per Bitcoin off of a relatively low amount of capital. So when you look at things like, the market capitalization of gold and you say oh we're going to take 10 trillion dollars i don't think gold's going to go to zero so i don't think all that money's coming but uh let's say hypothetically everybody in gold says we're going to sell all of our gold we're going to take that 10 trillion dollars we're going to put it in bitcoin it wouldn't be that the market cap of bitcoin is now 10 trillion dollars or you know whatever it is now plus 10 trillion dollars because there would be such a frenzy over it you have to imagine there's people on the other end that are selling that bitcoin If you, for example, held a Bitcoin and you saw everybody in the world selling all of their assets in order to buy one of the things that you had, if if the price of Bitcoin today is $23,000, are you going to sell it for $23,000? No, you're not going to sell it for $23,000 because you know that there's a rush, there's a FOMO, there's a, a frenzy for the asset that you have, and there's only 21 million of them in the world actually much much less than that we know that there's much less than that and so but that that's ultimately like theoretically that the full supply of bitcoin so because you're dealing with a scarce asset this rush of new capital it accounts for much more value than is actually um, just being put in in terms of capital. It's a weird phenomenon, but it's actually, if you're a Bitcoiner and you hold Bitcoin, it's a really exciting phenomenon. (laughs)
0: It's pretty cool. I mean, considering if we get to $10 trillion market cap, I think that's actually when we get to parity with the dollar. And if we're parity with the dollar at $10 trillion, we're talking about you know, $10 trillion market cap. We're talking about almost $2 million per Bitcoin. This guy the other day, I have him listed on my timeline if you want to go check it out. Uh, he was talking about the total world assets being 900000000000000 trillion. I'd heard Greg Foss talk about like, you know, four 420 trillion this guy was talking like 900 trillion he's like oh yeah you know you could be talking about 60 million dollars of bitcoin here and i was just like whoa and he talked about the multiplier effect just very briefly um only probably because he read your book but um the one of the one of the chapters I think that is really cool, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on this because I think maybe this is a little more well known, but maybe not by some people. Is the history of Bitcoin? A lot of people think that Bitcoin was one of the, the you know the the first digital currencies out of the chute, and it really wasn't. Um, it was built on the backs of uh, you know a couple different other types of ideas. Um, let's let's hit this one real briefly, and then
1: we'll get into some more fun stuff. So. I mean, it's one of those things where um, it's fascinating that Yeah, that's essentially what made Satoshi so brilliant, was not that he dreamt up all of these things, but that he somehow took these technologies that at the time, people didn't really think they related a whole lot to each other. Like There was different things that he just was like, yes, he saw the glue that brought these together. So a lot of people think that Satoshi, because it's such a brilliant invention of Bitcoin, and for those that don't know in the audience, Satoshi Nakamoto, the the creator of Bitcoin, um, but... uh, yeah, I think that people think it must be a group of people, I think because the pre existing technology, I think it could be either a person or just a couple people. I think that is possible. Um, but yeah, uh, proof of work or was was is like the cornerstone of Bitcoin. It was created. We know who created it, it was Adam Back. Um, he he's a guy that's still around. Um, Personally, I, like, it'd be interesting to think that he that he's it's Satoshi not, Nakamoto. Ha,
0: it's not Hal Finney, huh?
1: It's not Hal Finney. I don't, it, <laughs> might, it might be. I think everybody wants it to be Hal Finney since, uh, you know, he's like, people just like Hal Finney. Yeah. Um, I think that that will be the Hal Finney will be the Bitcoin awards. That will be like the trophy you get is like the Hal Finney or the, <laughs> or the, or the, the trophy. Um. So uh, anyways, the, uh, the history of, of Bitcoin, like as a creation, it was something that, um that rolled out really over the the cypherpunk generations it was just like a morphing and an evolution of these different technologies um and it just the glue finally came together and it it all worked when i think that it's good to be able to to cite that when people say oh um, you know, Bitcoin's gonna be the Yahoo that gets usurped by by Google. though you never go with the first one, right? And there's a bunch of reasons why that doesn't apply to Bitcoin. But I think this is one of them. Like there was eGold, there was eCash, there was like Bitcoin's not the first one. Bitcoin's the best one. It's really the one that's usurping it. And even if those ones didn't exist, my argument would be that fiat was the first one. Fiat was the first version of money. Thank you. And Bitcoin's the one that's coming into eat. Eat fiat's lunch. I really think that that's that's the answer to this thing. Um, but that's why I think this is the argument that people say, "Oh, I should go with XRP, or I should go with Ethereum, or I should go with one of these other coins." it's faster and yada yada and we can we can go down that whole rabbit hole why those are not they're not the answer to it
0: like but, like monero uh, yeah, right yeah,
1: I think, what's that
0: <laughs> like monero in the comments like we need to talk about monero it's just like god damn
1: monero, yeah, here yeah. we go the, the monero the monero yeah I, that's all that's a that's a fun conversation too i was talking about uh, some guys about that yesterday the monero the monero crew i mean they're, they're they're a principled bunch i i do like the monero guys but it's it's yeah it's a uh, couple
0: too many hard forks and <laughs> yeah. And the the hash power, right? It's like it, it, w- once you get to the, the amount of hash power that Bitcoin has, you know, y- you may have a coin and you may have some transactions on it. I'm not saying that, you know, they maybe they don't have a space, but, you know, in terms of unseating this, this killer that's out there now, this behemoth. And that's the thing is Bitcoin's network and its computing power has become the absolute largest computing um network on on planet earth by far
1: yeah yeah i mean yeah it doesn't even it doesn't even com- compare in terms of um something that's that's non-internet right i mean it really is it's it's the money layer for the internet and uh if you ever have time anybody in the audience it, you know it's funny i don't think i would ever recommend going and watching a gary ginsler video except if you've ever watched i don't know if you shane if you ever watched his mit courses on bitcoin did you ever get it? I have
0: not seen those. No.
1: So the the head of the SEC has a really good understanding of Bitcoin. <laughs> and it's just, it's strange that when he wasn't a federal regulator, and I know he had been a federal regulator before, but when he was in just a, a citizen capacity, he actually explained Bitcoin really well. But then once he becomes a federal regulator, it's like blinders on, it's dangerous, blah, 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 blah. But he has an MIT course. So you can go online. They, they have them all online. And so he talks about, Bit, you know the early iteration of the internet it was missing a payment later layer we're all familiar with air 404 like air 404 page yeah. not found there's a air 405 i believe it is it says it says payment payment not found like the early yeah. internet thought it was going to have this and so i mean the two greatest network effects in the world are the internet and bitcoin and it's really all in the end is going to be a giant protocol i mean it's just Bitcoin's a layer to the internet protocol in the same way that email SMTP email protocol is a layer to it as well. And it's just it's too broad. It's too big. It's the only really like truly decentralized blockchain that's out there. Um, Every blockchain is decentralized in name only like there's so many blockchains out there, but you look at the most blockchains. They might have a bunch of different nodes, but then they're all hosted by like Amazon web servers. <laughs> so, so <laughs> you have all these different nodes owned by different people, but ultimately there's like this one switch of Amazon web services. It's like, Hmm, when have I ever seen Amazon do that? Like they've done that to people, yeah. you know, like, uh, what was the, the social media app that got shut off? Um, it wasn't true social. It was, um, gosh, I can't think of it, oh, but whatever I like it. Trump went to after January 6th and then they shut that down. Parlor wasn't um, so, it? What's that? Was it parlor? Parlor. Yeah. 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 I yeah. got shut down my Amazon web services. So anyways, without going down that, like network effect really, really matters. And yeah. you mentioned earlier the, the power of Bitcoin mining, like anybody can mine Bitcoin. Like, yes, you can, you can, uh, excuse me. You, anybody can mine Bitcoin. Anybody can run a Bitcoin node. And those are two different things. Like I run a Bitcoin node in my house. I do a little bit of mining as well. Um, but the, the, the power the decentralization of of, of, uh, Bitcoin comes from the node operators. Like if you you can run a node for next to no cost and participate in the decentralization of Bitcoin. And uh, I think as a Bitcoiner, I think it's kind of a noble noble task to take up if somebody has the time to do it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm actually, uh, now that things are slowing down a little bit, is, is that's my my next task is do that and then maybe do a little bit of mining, especially during the cold months out here. Sure. Um, we, we, and also to your point earlier, uh, Gary, I guarantee you that guy has got a stack of Bitcoin and he is he's going to like closing that door for as long as he can so he can stack as much as he can in the meantime. Hundred um, percent. ladies and gents, go out and, and get this book. I mean, seriously, if you've loved this conversation, Bitcoin Evangelism is a just a, a phenomenal book, and you know, if you have to read it twice, read it twice. It's it's not it's not that it's worth your time. Trust me, it is absolutely worth your time. And 10 years from now, you'll be like, oh, man, Brian Dement, that guy was smart as hell. I can't believe he was hanging out with Shane Hazel. So um, when, when you know, this all comes together, um, I started going through the book and immediately, you know, and th- that's the thing is like, I look at books sometimes because a lot of people say, hey, man, here's my book, read it, right? Um, and so I, I have books and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Um I knew I was in for something different from the forward from your buddy um, Brian uh, here, and you, you've recently uh, earned uh, your black belt in jujitsu. And I got to tell you, man, this is a feat like no other. Which was funny because I think I don't know. I, I think I was I don't know where I was in the book, but I was like, man, I'm getting real close to the end. Need to get you on now. And you're like, man, I actually think I'm going in to get my black belt tonight. And I was like, yeah.
1: Whoa, it was like an hour before dude. yeah you messaged me and it was like i you, you said hey you said you like asked the question about that i'm like i think i don't want to jinx it but i think tonight's the night yeah
0: yeah you had a tournament i guess over the weekend and then you know a lot of times for those that you guys aren't in the know is a lot of times you know people go in uh to tournaments they compete and they you know earn some more respect from you know the the sensei the the master whoever their coach is. And they'll either stripe them up or they'll they'll get a new belt on, on whatever day of the week it is when they come in uh, for practice next. And to receive a black belt in jujitsu, I mean, you're talking about 10 years of some of the hardest work I think anybody will ever do in humble pie on a very, very regular basis, especially if you're in a, a competitive gym. Um, so I wanted to say first and foremost, congratulations on that. Well, I'm sure absolutely well-deserved, um, but to, to have somebody else in the space that, you know, rolls and understands jujitsu and the fight and the humility of the warrior spirit, um, you know, guys like yourself are extremely dangerous. I mean, super duper dangerous and I've never felt safer in my life. when i'm in a tournament full of guys that are complete killers right yeah um it's a
1: weird it's a weird phenomenon you're like if something goes down i've never met any of these people around me but i feel like we would we would instantly link arms and just be able to like (laughs) do some work you know yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, i mean and that and that's the thing is you know this this very quiet strength is I think what it is, right? Is, you know, I, I, there are a lot of people that just are unassuming at, at first. And like I, at first, I would have never guessed, I had no idea. Uh, so when you said that, I was like, yeah, you know what? I gotta, I gotta really, I gotta pour through this book for this guy, you know, and, and, and give it, you know, everything I can to absorb as much of it as I can and think critically at the same time. Um, this, this, you know, this lifestyle that you've embarked on are, you know, are you going to make it a lifestyle for as long as you can until you can't roll anymore?
1: hundred percent. I mean, I think that's the beautiful thing about jujitsu. You go to these tournaments and you see these, these 70 year old dudes that by the way, don't like look seven. This is the weird, the weird phenomenon in jujitsu. You get like 20 year olds that look like they're 70 year olds. Cause their faces <laughs> get so mangled. And then by the time you're 70, you're like, wow, they, like he aged well though. So like <laughs> we, we make guys, super ugly and then the longevity is like it pays off so um but yeah these guys that are 70 they're just in phenomenal shape and uh they're out there doing the thing doing the thing that they love and uh yeah i, I want to do that and i want to teach it we're like we're talking about opening a school here locally um i got a couple black belts from the school that i that i train at that that want to you know move into their own school and and so yeah we're gonna we're looking down that route as well right now but one of the things that you said is like this this that something that I learned, like I'm a Christian. And so like part of the Christian walk is, is you're supposed to be meek. Jesus says to be meek. I always thought that just meant be, be nice. Like I didn't, I didn't realize what meekness necessarily meant. And I Jordan Peterson has a beautiful description of this. And I feel like you've heard this just by like your, the the reaction on your face right now. And he, his, his description of meekness, which is the biblical view of it as well, is that meekness is the ability to wield a sword dangerously but n- choosing not to do it like I love being around people that are meek, that walk softly and bear- carry a big stick mentality Yeah, is so cool. It's awesome being around other men and women. I mean, I know women that are like that, that, that could beat up any man in a given room. Yeah. And uh, and like they're just so nice. They're gentle with kids and they're just and, and they're unassuming and they're self-deprecating and all those things um and they're not the most macho guy in the room and like it's so weird but they're they're fun to be around like i want to be that i want to be like a quiet strong person um because i just i i i admire that when i see that in other people and so yeah i'm trying to shape myself to be like that a little bit more definitely not perfect about it like there's definitely times where I, i i i lack you know you know security and something and i you know brat, you know i talk too 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 highly of myself or think too highly of myself but jiu-jitsu the next day will kick me right back <laughs> into place, and i'm gonna and i'm gonna get tapped out or i'm gonna or my coach is you know i'm black belt now so i'm all cool but then my coach like makes me realize there's levels to this game and then he gets on top of me and he he's brazilian so he says things in this like Portuguese accent that is just terrifying um, th- he says things like I don't even know what it means like taste the dragon he like whispers it to me I'm like is that something dirty what the freak is going on here and so um yeah and that that's like what I hear right before I tap like he's like sinking in a choke and telling me to taste the dragon I don't I don't know what that means but yeah that's a little bit of the humble pie i get
0: yeah that, i'll tell you what my my first coach was uh it was master miguel and this guy is you know he was 70 something at the time brazilian as brazilian gets right and had seen the revolution down there and everything else was a police officer and little guy too right little guy that would just screw you up man just come in there and show you some things you're like oh my god he's like this is not legal in a match <laughs> So, you know, like fun stuff like that, but to to the point of all of this, and, and one of the reasons why I bring it up is because this culture that exists among meek men, uh, meek men and women for that matter, because uh, I definitely don't want to leave those uh, those women out because, you know, for, for a lot of people that don't understand, a lot of these girls that will especially attain higher uh, higher ranks, higher belts, um, they're rolling with dudes a lot of times and, you know, first and foremost, dudes stink. Uh, it's not that girls don't stink, but dudes have a tendency, uh, to, to not be quite as hygienic sometimes. And so, uh, to, to, you know, get through all of that and still be these, uh, these, you know, Queens basically, um, is, is pretty amazing, but it breeds a culture that is one you want to be around and one that is. Is is peaceful and one that you know wants to seek every opportunity to create peace possible. Uh, that is uh, caring, that is fostering, that brings in other people, and you know that that reminds me so much of this Bitcoin community. It's one of those things where this community is one of those communities you could you know run into guys who are set for life already because they were in early. And you'd never, ever, ever know it. And it's not like you know the, the other cryptos where you know it's Lamborghinis and fake tits and mansions and that kind of stuff, right? It's like this is a organization that's built very similar uh, to to a culture that is you know striving for peace, that is striving for you know violence is a last resort, that is looking to help their fellow man and charity and everything else. And so, um, I think it has a lot to do with that. So. I guess unless you got anything else on jujitsu, um, are you kids in jiu-jitsu? Yeah,
1: thanks. Yeah. I have four kids, and uh, all of them are in jujitsu. I have two nine-year-olds, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old about to be five, all of them, even the four year olds into it. My four year old actually tapped out legitimately rear naked choked my seven year old last night. It was her her older sister. Older sister was like, older sister doesn't take it easier on her. And the four year old got on her back, got her hooks in. And like, that is so cool. Seeing a four year old do like a technical move. And uh, just my, my seven year old. So cool. again, my kids are so humble because of it. Like she was happy that she wasn't letting her sister do it. But she was so happy that her sister, her little sister was able to like do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, so yes, my kids, the rule in our household, um, I'm not going to force my kids to do a whole lot of things, um, but they will have to get their blue belt someday. So um, they don't have to train right now. That's fine. Like a, a kid, even a kid that's good at jujitsu is probably not going to be able to beat up an adult. But when they get to that 14, 15-year-old range, they're going to have to start training pretty hard because they are going to need to get their their blue belt um, before they uh, before they can get a car or anything like that. So it's going to be very important for them too. Th- and for anybody that doesn't know, a blue belt typically most gyms recognize that as an ability to defend yourself from a bigger stronger untrained opponent um i don't expect my kids to be able to beat up everybody on the planet but i do want them to beat up the bozo that tries to <laughs> you know, stumble over i have three girls and so um i definitely want them to be able to handle themselves so of, i've, I've out, seen some girls that can handle themselves so i i believe in it yeah. so
0: so your first kids are um maternal twins then
1: so so actually my my boy my oldest one he's he's adopted so he's been with oh, us for a couple of years now okay yeah he's he's a cool he's a really cool kid he's got a crazy story we can talk about that another time yeah he was born on a street corner uh like his mom like crazy crazy circumstances his uh, grandparents ended up adopting him for a period of time and yeah anyway so he's with us now but That's super cool, cool kid.
0: yeah you yeah. got i mean more surprises all the time man now it's yeah. uh shows shows a huge hurt um no, I, I get it. My kids have been in jiu-jitsu since they are about three and a half, and my oldest now is eleven. And you know that th- there's stuff going on now in the maturing process of learning this art, and it's just it's so amazing to see that switch and to be able to take on you know larger opponents and everything else. So super cool. Let's let's talk about for the the last uh, few minutes that I got you. Um, let's talk about orange pill um, a little bit because you know. Orange Pill does something where we get to meet, you know, cool people in an area like you. So let's let's hear about Orange Pill. You
1: do their marketing, correct? I do. That's something that's like really really new. I've been doing that for about a month. uh The app's only about it's less than three months old, so it's a, it's a really new app. Um, but Orange Pill app, it's the whole premise. It's a social media app for Bitcoiners. It's a paid app, um and so you think about it. People say, oh, Why would I have to pay for social media? I can go on Twitter. Facebook for free. Well, just as you know, when something's free, you're the product, that's right. so that's fine. You can use social media apps that don't ask you to pay, but then you are the product. So Orange Pill app doesn't sell your data. It doesn't do anything like that. It's not sneaking through your messages. Um, that's that's all you. Um, and it it removes, like when you have this paywall and it's, it's inexpensive, it's $2.99 a month for like 50 bucks, you can have the lifetime membership. Like it's not a huge cost. Um, but you're not going to get spammers. You're not going to get scammers. You're not going to get people asking you how your crypto trading is going and all that kind of stuff, which is which is what like Bitcoin Twitter is filled with. You get like beautiful Asian women asking you like how they can how they can coach you on your crypto trading. And so um, it is pretty funny though. We had somebody make a, an Orangeville app account the other day. It says beautiful Asian woman. <laughs> so they're paying for this account and it, it says beautiful Asian woman. So um, So anyways, but at least we know that's a spoof account. Um, but yeah, so it helps you find people that live close to you. Um, you don't, it's not like Uber or DoorDash where it's going to give you a precise location. It gives you people, um, it only finds your location within about a 10 mile radius. So we don't know exactly where you're at because a lot of us Bitcoiners are privacy focused people. I'm a user of the app. I don't want to have, to have like a sweet back door for the FBI to like surveil me even more than i'm already being surveilled by my current apps but we don't want to be orange bill is not going to be one more of those apps but man the magic happens when you meet other bitcoiners in real life like there's something that happens i've been to conferences um i was at a pacific bitcoin they had some banger speakers really good speakers the very end of the show like the reason why everybody's there is they're gonna have michael Saylor on stage and so everybody goes into the hall, like the, the 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 auditorium, for to hear Michael Saylor. So they come off the show floor and all that kind of stuff. The place is packed. And a couple of minutes into Michael Saylor's speech, I'm talking to a few people, and I kind of look up and I look around. I realize everybody's just talking to each other. I'm like, everybody came in here to listen to Michael Saylor. But I think what it was, was the event was about to end. And everybody realized, like, I'm having fun talking to other Bitcoiners. So I had one guy say. I even asked the guys, like, why is nobody listening to Michael Saylor? Like, this is what we're all waiting for. And he goes, because you can watch this on YouTube later. Like, I don't have a chance to talk to this guy or that guy um, in real life. And so, Orangeville App is literally an opportunity to to do that. Is to meet with other other Bitcoiners, other people that have shared values and things like that. I was out to lunch for the last the last two days. I was out to lunch with with Bitcoiners that, that live close to where I'm at, and the conversation was great. Um, some of them are older than me. Some of them are younger than me, um, do the different walks of life. But like, we just have a certain set of shared values, um, that we, we believe in like freedom and Liberty and, you know, hands off my money and that's weird. Sort of thing. Oh, Weird people. It's a great people. conversation. It's a great conversation. <laughs> it's
0: great so. community too. Great people to to mix it up with. It's funny that you say the the hot Asian woman because a lot of my followers right now are getting me like impersonated of guys like me. And they're like, oh man, I wish a hot Asian. <laughs> <laughs> girl would, instead of Shane's ugly mug and impersonator. So, oh man, it's too funny. So the, the app's been up and running for three months. Um, is this is something you can set the parameters on? Say you're a little more rural, like where I'm at. Uh, can you set it from like 10 miles to even further than that? Is that yeah. something that's
1: adjustable? You, you can find anybody in the world that's on the app. So you can, yeah, you can just kind of keep scrolling. So when you pop up your feed, it's going to show the people that are closest to you. But if you are like, well, wow, this, you know, this, I, I'm going to need to go a little bit further. You just kind of scroll a little bit more and you're going to find people that are, so it, it has people preset to put in front of you. Like, hey, these are going to be the closest people to you. But if you want to find, you know, maybe you're heading to Tennessee and you want to say like, man, I want to talk to Robert Breedlove when I go out to Tennessee, because I know he's in Bitcoin Park all the time. You can like search for Robert Breedlove, shoot him a direct message and be like, Hey, I'm going to be in Tennessee next week. Any chance we could meet up for some coffee and you can kind of pre-plan where you're going to be. Um, you know, if there's somebody that travels a lot and stuff too. So yes, you can, you can change. It's not just only where you live. Um, it's, you know, when you open the app, wherever you're, you happen to be at, it's going to connect you with people in that area. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm most excited about though, um, the, the interpersonal connections is a big deal. That's so that, that conference. Pacific Bitcoin was where I met the founder Matteo, and he just told me about it, and I, I was like, "Dude, this is awesome!" Yes, Bitcoin needs this like social layer. That's the big. That's like the big tagline of of bill app is we're building the the Bitcoin social layer, and like, yeah, like it needs a social layer for hyper Bitcoinization to Hell happen. yeah, it does. But one of the things that I'm really excited about um, is we're coming out with this thing called the Orange Pages, where you're gonna be able to find local merchants that accept Bitcoin. To me, like that's where like the real hyper Bitcoinization is gonna come in. I can't just, it's not just that I can meet up with other Bitcoiners, it's I can go spend my Bitcoin and like review businesses and all that kind of stuff. And you think about it from like a an adoption standpoint, me thinking about the marketing side of this and how many businesses we're gonna orange pill. The cool part about orange pill app is we already have the supply, or excuse me, we already have the demand. These businesses, like they're the supply side of it, we're coming to these businesses and saying like, hey, I know you don't accept Bitcoin right now, but look it, I can show you in this app, you have a hundred Bitcoiners in this area, in this neighborhood that will come and buy donuts from you. I mean, just because you
0: accept Bitcoin.
1: Just because you accept Bitcoin. Like they're going to come to you. There's 10 donut shops up and down the street, but they're going to come to you because they will look for businesses that accept Bitcoin. So we're going to orange fill so many businesses, the nail salon, the whatever, like the businesses you would never think accept Bitcoin. We're going to be able to bring them customers. We're going to be able to bring the, the demand side of the business directly to them. And I think that's going to happen. We're, I mean, the orange pages is coming soon. But as you said earlier, we're kind of coming back into this bull market. And so... A business approaches you, Orange Pillow of App approaches your business and they're talking about, yeah, I'm going to get more customers and I'm going to get this thing. I don't have to buy Bitcoin. They're just going to give it to me for my services. Like We're going to be able to bring so many people into the fold through this process. So this idea of the Bitcoin social layer is so compelling to me. It's so exciting and I, yeah, I'm really happy to be a part of it.
0: I think it's so cool. And and one of the, the aspects of that is, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are really sick to death of paying taxes and doing all this other kind of stuff. And once, you know, they start to understand Bitcoin a little bit better and it's just peer-to-peer transaction, wallet-to-wallet. And you don't know whose wallet is what wallet out there a lot of times. Um, this is a great way to cut out those guys that are doing crazy stuff like sending all of our money over to Ukraine uh and you know god god knows uh you know what else we could get into some people would say conspiracy Uh, we would say um you know the the conspiracy forecasters these days Uh, (laughs) hey i'm gonna plug all your stuff here at the end what else can we help you with brian as we as we wrap this up can we make donations to you can we help you out out at uh you know the the orange pill or your business i mean you got a you got a business going in the background at the same
1: time for god's sakes yeah man no i I appreciate that just spreading the word like if if you know somebody that needs to learn about bitcoin sharing the book with them buying them a copy to you know that that supports in a huge way um I mean, you're you, you give me the the platform tonight is is amazing. Like this is great. Like nobody needs to no no donations or anything like that. If you're looking to kind of get plugged in more active in the Bitcoin, if you're already a Bitcoiner, get on Orange Bill app. It's like the greatest investment you're ever gonna make. Um, it's you know cheaper than going to conferences. Like I like going to conferences, but like a ticket sometimes a thousand bucks. You got to fly, you got to travel. You can have Stand. your own mini Bitcoin conference, like every other week if you want. These people on the app are so excited to meet and catch up. You're gonna love the conversation. Like you trust me, your wife is sick of hearing you talk about Bitcoin, like go out and talk to somebody else about Bitcoin, you know, like that. That's kind of like this, this, uh, I think we're doing wives this huge service that we're giving their husband. Uh, and actually, the funny thing is, there's a bunch of chicks coming onto it now. So we got a lot of ladies coming in here. There's more and more ladies every day, uh, coming into Bitcoin, which is actually pretty fun. So we've had <laughs> hot Asians, it's not a dating app. Everybody, everybody's like, you're like the Bitcoin Tinder or the Bitcoin, whatever, you know, like the hookup app we've had two dates on it. So we actually have had two people use it that we know of two couples use it as a dating app, but I think it's mostly Bitcoin bros, you know, hanging out with
0: the boys hey, grabbing a beer talking bitcoins so. that'd be awesome man. i'll tell you what that we we need a lot of bitcoiners you know making a lot more kids as fast as they can we're not talking three four we're talking families of like seven nine Duggar style almost. <laughs> so brian man i wanted to say thank you so much for not only hanging out with me but for for really writing this masterpiece man what a what a really cool contribution to this uh this group of people and to you know the human species i think this is one of those things that people are going to look back on uh long long after we're gone and go look at what these guys wrote man this is this foundational stuff in you know the biggest revolution in the human species that we know of so um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing all this man and thanks for hanging out with me it's uh, it's super cool to meet you man and uh best of luck to you the kids hopefully I'll be down at Bitcoin uh 2023 you can abuse me down there use me as your your dummy or whatever you need to do but um, ladies and gents uh Bitcoin evangelism. Go get this book. Support Brian, uh, all the great work that he's doing out there. Uh, Get on the Orange Pill app. It's cheap, $50 for a lifetime membership where you can just know and meet Bitcoiners everywhere you are or everywhere you go. Super awesome, man. So uh, outside of that, I got nothing left, man. Um, Thank you. Thank you guys so much for being out there in the audience. Until next time, I love you. I need you. Peace.
1: Um, don't hurt people and don't take this step.